Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, January 31st, the final day of the first month of 2024. And we've got episode 131 coming at you this week. It is going to be a really good podcast. I know it because we are talking about a topic this week that I have wanted to talk about for a long time on this podcast. But it's one of those topics that takes a while to gather the necessary information to talk about it, to get all the facts. But I think I have. And so this week we are talking immigration, the southern border of the United States of America, which is like perfect timing because, of course, it's in the news for all the various reasons, which we will talk about in just a second. Before we do, I just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Zaders Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, rate and review the podcast, check us out on all the socials as well, threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Zaders Facts, that is Zader with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, we like to call it spreading the facts around here, tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Zader's Weekend Facts. If you didn't know, it is a recap of the week's top headlines that comes out every Sunday morning in your email inbox. You can sign up in the link in this episode's description to get it sent to your email every Sunday morning. And also check out the Zader's Facts link tree, which is also linked in this episode's description because it has all the Zader's Facts links that you need for the podcast, the newsletter, YouTube, everything is on that link in the episode's description. Let's get to our big topic this week, though. We are talking about the situation at the southern border, which some people may be surprised that Xander's Facts is covering this topic because, oh my gosh, this is terrible for the Democrats. Joe Biden, who Xander edges to every day, he just can't talk about it, can he? No, I can. As I've told y'all very many times on this podcast, or maybe I haven't, but the only agenda I have on this podcast, is finding the facts. Xander's facts? And that's what I've done this week. We are going to talk about what's going on at the U.S.-Mexico border. We've probably talked about this uh, before on the podcast, but this is the first time that we're dedicating an episode of the podcast to this issue, 131 episodes in. And it's been dominating the headlines, as I said, the last few days. The standoff, if you've heard, that is taking place between the Texas state government and the federal government. If you didn't know, in the border town of Eagle Pass, Texas, authorities have effectively blocked U.S. Border Patrol agents from accessing a two and a half mile swath of the U.S. border with Mexico. But of course, you know, the controversy surrounding immigration policy has gone on a lot longer than this latest event, even before the current president took office, long before the current president took office. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the situation at the southern border that the United States shares with Mexico, how we got here, what the facts are, and then, of course, what the next steps could be in this little immigration tussle that we're having right now in this country. So if you're looking for the facts, you've come to the right place, y'all, because I have got nothing but facts for you this week on the podcast. So, of course... We're going to take a look at an issue that has taken a long time to develop. 
we have to do a little quick history lesson to make sure everybody is caught up to speed. Because you may remember that the U.S. and Mexico haven't always been super-duper buddies. They're not, you know, exactly super-duper buddies right now, but they haven't always been good friends. You might remember that the U.S. actually fought a war with Mexico back in the day, the Mexican-American War from 1846 to 1848. Before that, the U.S.'s border with New Spain, New Spain because Mexico hadn't even declared its independence yet, wasn't clearly defined even after the Louisiana Purchase. That was when the U.S. got a ton of land in 1803. And in 1828, the U.S. and Spain signed the adams onis Treaty, which recognized a border between the two for the first time, and that treaty actually gave Florida to the U.S., so I don't know if it was the best treaty in the world, but it did, and it had present-day Arizona, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, Utah, and also parts of Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Wyoming. Those were not a part of the U.S. They were all part of New Spain, and then in 1821, they were part of Mexico because Mexico declared its independence from Spain, and the Treaty of Limits was signed in 1828 between the U.S. and Mexico, which formally recognized that border between the two. But this border, as I, you know, kind of mentioned, is nothing like the present day. Arizona is not in Mexico. So after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo ended the Mexican-American War, Mexico lost all that territory that I had mentioned just a second ago, which at the time was 55% of its territory. And of course, the Mexican-American War had started, if you didn't know, because Texas had declared its independence from Mexico in 1836 during the Texas Revolution. However, Mexico had not recognized the Republic of Texas, and then when the U.S. annexed Texas as the 28th state in 1845, the two went to war, which, as you probably know by now, the U.S. won that war because we never lose, except for some wars that we've fought. But the Gadsden Purchase, which then happened in 1848, that included parts of southern Arizona and New Mexico, that was the last movement that the border seen and set up the current U.S.-Mexico border besides the Rio Grande River in Texas shifting a little bit, which has happened, which kind of changed the border. But other than that, the border has basically stayed the same. And then in 1891, the Immigration Act of 1891 authorized inspection stations at ports of entry on the Mexican and Canadian borders for the U.S. and Border Patrol was established after another Immigration Act in 1924. And then another law in 1929 made it so that an unauthorized border crossing would be a misdemeanor offense with a second offense being considered a felony. But that's like the way back history. So now let's get closer to present day. And as you probably can tell, the situation at the border has been unstable for several presidential administrations because the number of undocumented immigrants living in the U.S. from 1996 to 2014 had doubled. For example, illegal entries into the U.S. from Mexico have been taking place not just in the Obama administration or the Biden administration, but for many decades. Back in 1969, the number of illegal alien apprehensions that were conducted by Border Patrol crossed 100,000 for the first time in the 1969 fiscal year, which runs from October to September. So October 1968 to September 1969. And that number reached a million 
1983, and it hit a high of 1.6 million in 1986, and it didn't reach that number again until 2000. And since almost 1.2 million people were either apprehended or expelled in 2005, the numbers steadily dropped. By 2011, only 340,000 people were apprehended or expelled by Border Patrol. And that number stayed right around the 300, the 400,000 mark until 2019 when it jumped to 859,000. And in 2006, if you didn't know, George W. Bush was the president at the time. His administration had initially conceived this plan to build a fence along the border. And of course, there had already been barriers along the border. But the program, which was cut due to costs in 2010, had completed 640 miles of barrier or fence that was either new or had replaced old fencing, which may remind you of another president that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But also in 2005, the Bush administration became the first to actively pursue criminal cases under the law that I mentioned earlier that was passed in 1929 that made unauthorized border crossings a criminal offense. That was called Operation Streamline, and it led to the number of criminal prosecutions for immigration going from about 40,000 in 2005 to 90,000 in 2013. And of course, we all know of another president, Mr. Donnie Boy's plan to build a border wall that Mexico would pay for, right? Well, ultimately, during his administration, 455 miles of barrier was added to the border all of which was paid for by the U.S., sadly, not Mexico. What? And you probably remember another kerfuffle that happened during the Trump administration that was caused by a policy in the spring of 2018 when the government adopted a policy of separating children from the parents or guardians they had crossed the border with, which, you know, sounds bad and in reality was bad. Because ultimately, it was caught on by the news media, and of course, outrage ensued, and Trump had to sign an executive order in June that ended that policy, the family separations, but we found out that there had actually been no plan conceived by this miraculously brilliant administration to actually reunite the children with their parents or guardians, and in November of 2020, it was found that the parents of 666 children still had not been found. And if you were curious, prior to this policy being implemented, migrant parents were only separated from their children if they were suspected of human trafficking or accused of fraud or had an outstanding warrant against them. Those in favor, you know, of Trump's policies even argued that he was imposing the same policy as the prior administration, which was the Obama administration, which turned out to be an incorrect statement. That is not true. Of course, there is one person who was behind the separations. That was Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller. According to NBC News back in 2020, Miller told a meeting of 11 senior advisors to the president that not enforcing what was known as the zero tolerance immigration policy, quote, is the end to the country as we know it, unquote, and that opposing it would be Un-American, which, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, it's not like America's like a nation of immigrants or anything. It's not like we have this big green statue 
in New York that says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It's not like we have. Oh, wait, we do have those. Very interesting. So I don't know if opposing a zero tolerance immigration policy that separated children from their parents is un-American. I don't think that not supporting that would be un-American. Additionally, during the Trump administration, they announced in November of 2018 a plan to deny asylum to anyone crossing illegally into the U.S. at the discretion of the president. Well, ultimately, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the Center for Constitutional Rights all filed a lawsuit against the administration, which succeeded and prevented the asylum ban from going into place in the first place. So, that's just a little bit of past immigration policies by some other presidents. A little bit of how we've gotten to these last few years, just to show that the current predicaments that are facing immigration and the southern border are not new. Now, debates regarding immigration from Mexico have been happening for decades, really, you know, ever since the current U.S.-Mexico border was erected or else they wouldn't be passing those immigration acts of the late 1800s and the early 1900s. They wouldn't have been doing that if they weren't concerned about immigration because they most likely were. So now we get to the present day, the current presidential administration. So now that we're here, let's take a look at the current situation with the help of some data because oftentimes when debating immigration policy – I've noticed that some people like to try and make the situation seem better or worse than it actually is. But data and facts don't lie. So it's important to know what the actual data says and what the facts say. So what happened under the current Biden administration that got us to the point where we are now, Wednesday, January 31st, 2024? Well, immediately... When President Biden took office, January 20th, 2021, he signed an executive order that canceled the national emergency declaration that was used by Trump to fund the construction of the border wall. And Biden also reaffirmed protections of the DACA program, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Now, in recent immigration policy negotiations, which I'm going to talk about more in a little bit, Democrats have made it almost a near sticking point to protect this program, which offers about 700,000 people who entered the U.S. illegally while brought as children to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation and become eligible for a work permit. Now, Biden's initial immigration reform proposal, which he proposed right at the beginning of his presidency, ensured that there would be a three-year pathway to citizenship for those covered by DACA. But a federal judge has since found the program unlawful because of the way it was created by the Obama administration. So while new recipients cannot be added, those who are under DACA currently can remain a part of the program. And Biden's immigration bill, which was known as the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021, which would have given a pathway to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants that live in the U.S., did not end up passing Congress. And you may say, well, Xander, what are the Democrats doing? They had the majority in the Senate. They had the majority in the House. Well, if you didn't know, most bills in the Senate take 60 votes. Democrats had 50 votes at the time. And there were not 10 Republicans who were prepared to 
support that bill. So it did not pass. But Biden's administration also paused deportations that were conducted by the Department of Homeland Security for the first 100 days of his presidency, or at least that was what he was planning, because that was blocked, you know, a few days later by a federal judge. So that did not end up happening. And just as Biden became president, the number of people who tried to come into the country shot up dramatically because in 2020, mostly because of COVID restrictions that allowed Trump to effectively close the border, according to the U.S. Border Patrol, only about 400,000 Southwest land border encounters took place that year. In the fiscal year of 2021, that number exploded to 1.7 million in 2021, which was a record high. Then, 2022, it rose above 2 million for the first time, which was another new high, reaching 2.38 million. And then last year, 2023, was even higher yet again. 2.475 million encounters that U.S. Border Patrol had at the border with Mexico. And so far in the 2024 fiscal year, which includes October, November, and December of last year, each month's total is higher than the 2023 fiscal year. December's number of 302,000 is the highest on record for any month as long as the data goes back. But it is important to note that the January number, of course, is not out yet because January is not done. It's almost done. But Officials are expecting it to be much lower. Apparently, there has been a big slowdown in January at the border, which usually happens around this time of the year, holiday season and all that. But it is important to note that 2023 had the most encounters at the U.S.-Mexico border that Border Patrol has ever seen. If you include official border crossings, which those numbers do, if you don't include those 2023's number was lower than 2022's, but of course it was still well higher than what we have been seeing before. And so because of this, there's been a lot of people who have called Biden's immigration enforcement weak, particularly on the right. But if you look at the facts, actually, and what the administration's doing, those tend to point in the opposite direction of that statement, because the Trump policy that he used when COVID began, which was known as Title 42, was actually expanded under the Biden administration. In October of 2022, the administration invoked Title 42 to expel Venezuelan migrants to Mexico, but the move was blocked by federal courts who ruled that the government had to process asylum seekers under immigrant law that was in place before Title 42 was implemented. And the people who sued the Biden administration were the ACLU in that instance. Not the biggest fan of Republicans, you know, the ACLU. They're usually not on the side opposing a Democratic administration. But Biden's administration also restarted the use of expediting families from Central America who arrived at the southern border but couldn't be expelled under Title 42, which was turning away many migrants, and those who didn't have a legal basis to stay in the U.S., so in actuality, a bunch of the policies that have dominated the Biden administration's immigration policy actually aren't too dissimilar from that of his predecessor. Of course, Biden has done some other things that are different. 
He ended the travel ban that had been put in place on several Muslim-majority countries, as well as removed the Remain in Mexico policy that required asylum seekers to stay in Mexico while they awaited their immigration court dates in the U.S. And the Biden administration also did ultimately end Title 42 in May of last year, but what transpired right after that was a significant reduction in the number of illegal border crossings. June 2023 actually saw the lowest number of border apprehensions since Biden took office. As you all know, though, that trend did not last. The apprehensions were back up to record numbers in just another month or two. But in the place of Title 42, the administration has implemented new restrictions on asylum seekers that the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice said would incentivize individuals to use lawful, safe, and orderly pathways into the U.S. The policy declares anyone who does not enter the U.S. legally ineligible for asylum and allows for the removal of anyone who entered illegally who does not establish a reasonable fear of persecution or torture in the country they originated from. And guess who sued the Biden administration attempting to block what they called an asylum ban? Once again, it was the ACLU, which I'm not saying is bad that they sued for that because that's, you know. But just to let you know, who is against the Biden administration with these policies? It isn't only the people on the right who, for many reasons, would like to call out a Democratic administration's immigration policy. But it's also people on the left who think that the Biden administration has actually been too harsh with their immigration policy. Here's what Human Rights Watch said of the plan back in May. Quote, President Joe Biden's new border plan focused on deterrence will most certainly lead to a rise in the already record number of migrants dying at the United States southern border, enrich criminal cartels, and return refugees to likely harm, unquote. So that's really what's dominated the Biden administration's immigration proposal at the southern border. Too many facts. But I feel like before we get to what's going on in Texas right now and the current situation, I feel like it's important to know where all these people who are trying to get into the U.S. are coming from. Because it's not all Mexicans from Mexico. Because as the New York Times noted in October of last year, while historically that has been the case, the most migrants have come to the U.S. from Mexico, over the last decade, growing numbers have been coming from what's known as the North Triangle. Those are the Central American countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. There are many news stories, you could probably search them up, that are highlighting the rabid gang violence that is crippling these and other Central American nations like Nicaragua, meaning for many of these migrants who are coming to the U.S., they're coming because if they go back to their home country, they're likely to be tortured or killed because they tried to go into the U.S., but then they were deported back because they live in an area that is controlled by gangs. But especially in the last few years, migrants have been coming from elsewhere besides Mexico. Migrants from countries like Venezuela, Haiti, even Russia and China are now trying to come into the U.S. And not all of them, as you may suspect, are terrorists. Need I explain why? Because Venezuela's economy collapsed about a decade ago, partially if you didn't know, thanks to our government, 
Haiti is also being crippled by gun violence after the earthquakes that have hit Hispaniola, along with the assassination of their president. They're kind of going through a crisis right now in that country. And also, would you rather live in the U.S. or in a Russian dictatorship or in China? I'd rather live in the U.S., to be honest. That's just, you know, what I would say. But the fact is that many of the people who are trying to come to live in the U.S. are not the evil terrorists who want to steal your jobs that some people try to portray them as. Now, I'm not saying all of them aren't. Maybe there's one or two bad apples. But a vast majority of them are simply trying to find safety and start a new life in a country they have been told is where you can achieve the American dream. A country where we like to say we are a country of immigrants who came here from Europe and took land from Native Americans for our country. That's how our country was founded. It wasn't, to be frank, very pretty. That's impressive. And so we have set up, rightfully so, I believe, this notion that we are an immigrant-friendly country as the United States, but now you have children who aren't just coming with their parents, but by themselves in some cases, in hopes to possibly reunite with a family member who lives in the U.S., who are being turned away because our government can't get their act straight. And I'm going to say this several times. The Biden administration is at fault for that, but you know who else is? The Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration. Many administrations before this one are at fault for that. This is not the fault of one man, one administration. But back to the notion that some people like to bring up that terrorists are coming into our country. Not in nearly 50 years has anyone in the U.S. been injured or killed in a terrorist attack that came from an illegal immigrant in the U.S. And on the topic of fentanyl, fentanyl is a big issue right now, y'all. It is a big issue. People are dying because they're taking drugs that have fentanyl, which is deadly. It's a deadly drug that many have been claimed has been smuggled into the U.S. by illegal immigrants. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who, if you didn't know, is a Republican, claimed earlier this month, quote, we have lethal drugs that are pouring into our country at record levels, unquote. Well, the fact is, the vast majority of fentanyl and other deadly drugs comes into the U.S. not by illegal immigration, but by official ports of entry. 86% of the people convicted of trafficking fentanyl in 2021 across the border were actually citizens of the United States. That's the fact. And because the U.S. is the biggest economy in the region, and yes, the world, it shares the blame in many of these countries that these migrants come from, especially in countries that the U.S. has muddied in before. And that's not just blame at the feet of Biden or Trump or Obama, but for many administrations going past decades, hey, Ronald Reagan was the one who supported and funded the Contras rebel groups in Nicaragua, the ones who, by the way, committed over 1,300 terrorist attacks, even after Congress told him to stop. He still did it. So again, this goes back decades and decades. But as we're talking, you know, it's 2024, 
As we're talking about the 2024 election and the almost certain rematch that we're going to have between Trump and Biden, which, by the way, sidetrack for a second, everybody complains about the rematch no one wants to see. Trump and Biden. Oh, my gosh. That's who wants to see that. I don't want to see that. Please. That's terrible. Well, we have this amazing thing in this country called elections and primary elections where you can decide who you want to be a party's nominee for president. And so I don't buy the notion. I feel like it's just probably some loud people on social media who say they don't want this because Republican voters voted for Donald Trump in Iowa and in New Hampshire. He's going to be the nominee. They had other options. They had Mr. Ronald McDonald to Santa Claus. They had Nikki Bird Brain Haley, but you didn't vote for him. At least not in the numbers to beat Donald Trump. And so Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. So Republican voters want Donald Trump. And for Democrats, we talk about New Hampshire. We talked about the presidential primaries a couple weeks ago on this podcast. New Hampshire's primary for the Democrats wasn't, you know, official because they're all fighting and all that stuff. So it wasn't an official primary. So Joe Biden's name wasn't on the ballot. And there's a congressman, Dean Phillips, who's running for the Democratic nomination right now. His name was on the ballot. But who got over 70% of the Democratic vote? It wasn't Dean Phillips. It was Joe Biden. So the Democrat voters voted for Joe Biden. The Republican voters voted for Donald Trump. And apparently nobody wants this rematch. Because that's what everybody's voting for. I don't know. I just had to throw that out there. Because it makes no sense to me. Stay on track. But anyways, as we're talking about the 2024 election, as I said, it's going to be an almost certain rematch between Trump and Biden. We also have to talk about where their policies differ, which I've done a bit. Biden has definitely been more welcoming to migrants than Trump. However low a bar that may be, that's a pretty low bar. But a big part of this whole issue is supporting the country's where these migrants come from. It's not just about what you do at the border. It's about what you do for the countries where these migrants are coming from, because there's usually, usually these migrants have a reason for coming to this country other than, oh, you know what? I'm going to walk through the gangs in Central America to get up to the U.S. because I feel like it'd be fun. That's usually not what's going through these migrants' minds. In 2019, the Trump administration cut hundreds of millions of dollars in aid to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras because he claimed they were not helping reduce the flow of migrants at the U.S. border. And this came after aid had already been decreasing to those countries from 2016 to 2019 beforehand. Um, that might be, Donnie boy, that they're not helping you reduce the flow of migrants because they don't have the resources in place in the first place to help, because these countries are overrun by crazy gangs. So how exactly is giving these countries less resources going to help? You can absolutely argue that this has only exacerbated the problem we now have at the border. And in contrast to the Biden administration, they have taken the opposite approach. Biden came into office with a plan to invest $4 billion in Central America, which was part of the ill-fated U.S. Citizenship Act. But even while that was not allowed to pass due to lack of bipartisan support, money has still been allocated to address what the administration is calling the root causes 
of immigration. Does anybody know what Kamala Harris is doing nowadays? Well, let me tell you. The vice president announced a nearly $1 billion public-private partnership last year into investing in Central America. And since that program launched in 2021, over $4 billion has been committed since the vice president issued a call for private investment. A lot of this money is coming from private companies who want to invest in Central America. And Harris also outlined the Central America Forward Initiative, which aims to create at least a million jobs in the region by 2032, provide education and training to 75,000 people by 2027, and invest at least $500 million in infrastructure deals by 2027. And you could say the results are already showing up because when you only take a look at Border Patrol encounters for individuals from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, there were over 700,000 in the 2021 fiscal year. In 2022, that number actually dropped to 540,000, and then again it dropped to 495,000 last year. So it's interesting when we have a major political party's candidate who keeps chanting America first, secure our border, when the way to secure our border is actually to help other countries. And oh my gosh, we can see maybe... It's actually working because the numbers tend to support that claim. So when you're talking about this issue, it's important to remember where these migrants are coming from, why they're coming, not because they want to blow us all up or take all our jobs, and what role the U.S. plays in almost every step of the process. I, it's kind of laughable how people will claim that they're just coming to take our jobs because a lot of these migrants who are coming into our country are, would do anything. They'd work anything. They'll work the jobs that you don't want to. People complain, where's my $5 Big Mac at McDonald's? Because now it's so expensive because now everybody complains, oh my gosh, the fast food workers just want so much money. But then, oh, why don't you do that job? Oh, no, I would never do that job. Please, come on. Well, you know who is going to do that job? Besides teenagers? Immigrants. So ultimately, and this is rooted in facts, immigration greatly helps our country, especially when the U.S. birth rate is declining. Like eventually, we don't want to be like Japan and have a stagnant population because ultimately that's bad for your country, bad for your economy, bad for your social security system. You want more people paying into the social security system. And so the notion, or at least one that some politicians will try to put out there is that immigration is evil and is terrible for our country makes no sense on several grounds but anyway these are facts what's going on in texas that's the big question going on right now the latest news regarding the border which i'm glad we are able to talk about right now because this is like happening as we're talking involves a standoff that's going on between the state of texas and the federal government so to give y'all context on what's been going on, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has taken it upon himself these last couple of years, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, to enact his own immigration policy. You may remember he and Mr. Ronald McDonald DeSantis, Florida's governor, decided to round up migrants and bust them to Chicago, New York, Martha's Vineyard, and other Democratic-leaning areas as a way to, quote-unquote, own the libs, 
which is working in every way. But Abbott has also installed wire along the banks of the Rio Grande, installed buoy barriers in the river, and Republicans in the state late last year passed a law that allows state and local law enforcement to arrest migrants that are crossing the border. That law would take effect in March, but it's already been sued by immigrant rights groups and the Justice Department, who claims that the law is a violation of the Constitution's Supremacy Clause, which establishes that federal laws, in most cases, override state laws. The law would also give judges the authority to order migrants to leave the country. But DOJ said in the lawsuit, quote, Texas cannot run its own immigration system. Its efforts through this bill intrude on the federal government's exclusive authority to regulate the entry and removal of non-citizens, frustrate the United States' immigration operations and proceedings, and interfere with U.S. foreign relations, unquote. And when the DOJ sent a letter to Abbott threatening to sue the week earlier, Abbott said on Twitter that the Biden administration, quote, not only refuses to enforce current U.S. immigration laws, they now want to stop Texas from enforcing laws against illegal immigration, unquote. However, Texas had already filed an earlier lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security regarding the Cancertina wire barrier that the state was putting up along the border. You may remember back in July, USA Today reported that the wire was injuring those attempting to cross the border. Here's how the article, which was titled, Along Texas's Floating Border Barrier, Migrant Children Left Bloody by Razor Wire. Here's how that article began. Quote, by the time Omar Tortua and his family waded into the warm river water at Piedres Negras, they had already survived a treacherous journey through the jungle of the Darien Gap across six countries and past cartel kidnappers. But it was only at the end that Tortua saw the danger claw into his own child when a coil of Cancertina wire placed at the American shoreline by Texas officials ensnared the leg of his five-year-old son. He scooped up the bleeding child with officers watching from the bank above. All along this riverbank, scraps of clothing bear witness to the many migrants who have been snared by razor wire in recent weeks. And as federal and state officials clash over Texas's latest border security initiative, the migrants who reach the United States display its toll in bruises and broken ankles and glinting rows of surgical staples that hold closed their sliced wounds. An internal email from a Texas state trooper revealed last week raised the alarm that the state's efforts had become quote-unquote inhumane. On Friday, USA Today observed how the razor wire has slashed not just adults, but young children, unquote. Now you can say, obviously, that this family was crossing the border illegally. Absolutely, that's true. But, as the article goes on to note, they had already been found by officials at the border while in the river and were going to the staging area in Eagle Pass, the town, as the officials were directing them to do so. But because a five-year-old kid slipped on a rock, his left calf was slashed by a wire coil that Greg Abbott made the state of Texas put up in the Rio Grande. More reporting in August from Texas Public Radio found a dead body that was stuck to the border buoys that had been placed by the state. And Border Patrol agents then removed the wire, which caused Texas to sue the federal government, calling it a, quote, 
invasion of the state's property rights and violation of the Administrative Procedure Act, unquote, also calling it, quote-unquote, an affront to the state. In federal court, the U.S. District Judge Alia Moses, who was appointed by George W. Bush and was born in Eagle Pass, the town where much of this has been occurring, ruled against the federal government. She said that the state owned the razor wire and the federal government failed to show that a, quote, great public calamity, unquote, resulted from the wire being installed. I, you know, beg to differ when people are dying and getting injured, but, you know, okay. The Fifth Circuit Court then upheld the decision, which is known as one of the most conservative courts in the country. They wrote, quote, The public interest supports clear protections for property rights from government intrusion and control, unquote. Of course, this all fails to note that the Rio Grande serves as the border between the United States and Mexico. It does not serve as the border for Texas and Mexico because the federal government is the one the level of government that controls the borders of the country, not the states. California does not control its border with Mexico. Montana does not control its border with Canada. The federal government does. And this has been outlined several times in court that the border is the federal government's jurisdiction according to the U.S. Constitution. So then we turn to January. In this situation, where the case is now in front of the Supreme Court, who on the 22nd of this month voted in a 5-4 decision to side with the federal government. So, the justices, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, they were the ones who voted against the federal government being able to control their own border, which, as I said, has been upheld as constitutional many times, including by the Supreme Court in 2012 in the case of Arizona versus the United States, which determined in a 5-3 ruling that states could not create their own more stringent immigration laws. So, there you go. The court ruled that Texas must allow the federal government to cut the razor wire and remove the buoys. But are those things happening? No. It is currently... Not. That's why we're dedicating this part of the podcast to this. Because as you see, back on January 10th, Customs and Border Protection began noting that the Texas National Guard was blocking U.S. Border Patrol from placing surveillance equipment inside Eagle Pass's Shelby Park. Now, if you don't know, Eagle Pass is a town that is right on the U.S. border with Mexico across the Rio Grande from the Mexican city of Piedras Negras, as I said earlier. It's about 140 miles southwest of San Antonio, but it's only a city of about 29,000 people. And along Eagle Pass's stretch of the border sits two bridges that connect the U.S. and Mexico. And also on January 10th, Texas began denying Border Patrol access to the two and a half mile stretch of land in Eagle Pass that starts at Shelby Park to the north and includes both bridges, as well as the Eagle Pass Golf Course, which sits between those two bridges. CNN then reported that the state authorities then began putting up razor wire, fencing, and gates to shut off access to Shelby Park, the golf course, and an area under one of the bridges that federal agents had been using as a waiting area for migrants. And then on February 12th, we learned that three people, two children, and a woman had died from drowning in the area of the Shelby Park 
boat ramp, which the Border Patrol could not get to because the state government decided, oh, we're just going to not let you go over there to that part of the border. And all of this was going on while the Supreme Court was weighing the matter regarding the wire and the buoys put up by Texas. And the lead field coordinator for the Customs and Border Protection for the Del Rio area, Robert Danley, described the events that transpired in a supplemental memorandum to the Supreme Court for that case. So this is testimony to the Supreme Court, which if is found untruthful, you can get charged for perjury. This isn't a silly Twitter statement. It read, quote, The acting Border Patrol supervisor responded to the Shelby Park entrance gate, which was closed upon his arrival. From the outside of the gate, the acting Border Patrol supervisor advised three guardsmen from the Texas National Guard through the gate that three migrants drowned earlier in the evening and two were in distress on the U.S. side of the river. The gate remained closed during the conversation and the Texas National Guard guardsmen advised the acting supervisory Border Patrol agent through the gate that they had been ordered not to let Border Patrol in through the gate or give Border Patrol access to Shelby Park. Thereafter, the acting Border Patrol supervisor requested to speak to the TNG supervisor, the TNG, Texas National Guard, guardsman at the gate, called a TNG staff sergeant on his cell phone from the gate and placed the staff sergeant on speakerphone. The acting Border Patrol supervisor relayed the information that three migrants drowned earlier that evening and two were in distress on the U.S. side of the river to the staff sergeant over speakerphone. The staff sergeant conveyed that Border Patrol was not allowed to enter, even in emergency situations, but TNG would send a guardsman to look into the situation. So, Texas says... Border Patrol is not allowed to enter an area of the U.S. border. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't make sense to me. Texas, they did allow the Border Patrol access to the area the next day, but only after acquiring information about each agent that had entered the area and offering limited access. But on January 15th, a Border Patrol agent was stopped and questioned by the Texas National Guard while driving through an access road in the area. And then we get to January 17th, which was the date that the Department of Homeland Security set as their deadline for when Texas had to stop its blockade. But the state, of course, did not comply. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who was a Republican, responded by saying, quote, Texas will not surrender, unquote. He then sent a three-page letter to the DHS General Counsel, where he claimed that on the night three migrants drowned, quote, Texas Military Department did not prevent U.S. Border Patrol from entering Shelby Park to attempt a water rescue of migrants in distress, unquote. But, according to Supreme Court testimony, that is incorrect, and I would tend to think that Supreme Court testimony, which is subject to possible perjury charges if it's found that you were lying and you knew you were lying. I'd tend to trust that over, you know, a letter that was sent by the Attorney General of Texas to the Department of Homeland Security. And on that day, January 17th, Texas also started arresting migrants for criminally trespassing at Shelby Park. And then comes the Supreme Court decision, which in response... Abbott wrote on Twitter, the Texas governor, quote, This is not over. 
Texas's razor wire is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings Biden encourages. I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border and prevent the Biden admin from destroying our property, unquote. So, you know, the razor wire is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings, as in it kills them or it injures them. And it says, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have come. But clearly, if the crossings are still happening, I don't think it's an effective deterrent. And because Twitter is now the cesspool that it is, I love that the top two comments for his tweet come from at ProveMe59327731, who writes, quote, Don't forget that Biden disobeyed the Supreme Court courts, he wrote courts twice, order to give student debt relief so there's nothing stopping you from doing it too, unquote. So, oh my gosh, look at that. Thank you. And then at X isn't fee speech wrote, quote, sue the federal government for failure to perform their legal duty according to the Constitution, unquote. Thank you. At X isn't fee speech and at prove me five nine three two seven seven three one. They are the true transparent heroes in this situation, I believe. Ones who, by the way, paid for their blue checks. Elon Musk, he needs that money. Y'all. That's not true. So then, Abbott sent out a statement that accused Biden of, quote, wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open Texas's border security infrastructure, unquote, and as, quote, enticed illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along the state's southern border bridges where nobody drowns and into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande, unquote, which I don't, I have not found any evidence that Mr. Sleepy Joe, as Abbott would probably call him, is doing that. So if anybody wants to show me evidence, go ahead. But I have, I did not find any in the research of this podcast that he is enticing illegal immigrants away from legal entry points. If he was, I'd probably talk about it, but I don't think he is. He also, Abbott did, invoked Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution which requires the U.S. to protect all states against invasion. Oh my gosh. Terrible. Texas is being invaded. So now, after DHS sent another letter demanding access, now citing the Supreme Court's decision, CNN found that two days later, on January 24th, the Texas National Guard was installing more razor wire and anti-climb fencing. So, there you have it. Here we are today where 26 Republican attorneys general from across the country have signed a letter addressed to President Biden and the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas supporting Texas. The letter claims, quote, Texas's efforts to support the border do not violate the recent Supreme Court order. Further, states have an independent duty to defend against invasion, unquote. And all but one of the other 26 Republican governors across the country have come out in support of Texas. The only one who hasn't, if you didn't know, is the governor of Vermont, Phil Scott. While Louisiana Congressman Clay Higgins, a Republican, tweeted that the federal government was staging, quote, a civil war and Texas should stand their ground, unquote. Wow, that's... Civil War. How could you do this, Sleepy Joe? But I'm sure my governor, Mr. Glenjamin, he's above all this, right? He would have something very insightful to add to this matter. Let's see what he said. He said, quote, The Biden administration has turned every state into a border state. 
We must stop the flow of fentanyl, save lives, and secure our southern border. Unquote. Oh, so. He may not have had anything insightful to say on the matter. Because as I said, the fentanyl is coming from the U.S. citizens, actually. So that's where you should focus your efforts. But I don't know. That's where we are right now. Greg Abbott's beginning statements by saying, quote, The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states, unquote. Which I don't know. Like, I feel like that sounds just a little bit like this, quote, an ordinance to dissolve the union between the state of South Carolina and other states united with her under the compact, unquote. Which, if you didn't know, that is how South Carolina's Secession Act began in 1860 when they left the union to join up with those big old winners, the Confederates, who are still around today because they won. Oh, they didn't win. But their statues are still here. Well, some of them. I don't know. But that's not all, friends. There's also, get ready, we're all saved, a big trucker convoy of quote-unquote patriots calling themselves the quote, take our border back, unquote, convoy that is gearing up to head down to the border. Yay! And thankfully for all of us, they have declared themselves quote-unquote God's army who say they're on a mission to stand up to the quote-unquote globalists who claim they are conspiring to keep the border open and destroy this great country. Oh my gosh. They say, quote, This is a biblical, monumental moment that's been put together by God. We are besieged on all sides by dark forces of evil. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It is time for the remnant to rise. Unquote. So that's, you know, that's what's going on. God has given us this movement. He has given us these evil, dirty immigrants from Central America, and we must head to the border to make sure that the razor wire cuts their skin and kills them. Apparently, that is, uh, that is what's going on. But really, you know, the fact is it doesn't matter whether Abbott or other Republican officials really believe the things they say, because who knows if they do. But whether they do or not, the language they're using is enticing crazy people like those to think they have been sent by God to save the border. Which, y'all, like, really, Exodus 23.9, Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you are foreigners in Egypt. Or... Leviticus 19.34 The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Like y'all, going against immigration is going against the Bible. So it is going against God. And I remember a certain presidential candidate back in 2020 said that his opponent wanted to hurt God. No religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God, he's against guns. But I don't know, buddy. It might be the other way around. I mean, the take our border back people, they sound like they're not God's army. They sound like they want to hurt God. So I don't know. But again, it doesn't matter what Abbott and other Republican officials really believe their language is inciting these crazy people to say these things, to think these things. One message board poster 
on a far-right board called the Donald, which is very famous, by the way, because it was banned from Reddit for being too wacko, said, quote, the Supreme Court justices who agreed to this deserve to be executed as traitors, unquote. Just so y'all know, you know, where the um, lines are being drawn here. Now, if you wondered how the convoy was going, well, it doesn't appear they had a very good first day on Monday. Here's how a Wired article titled, The Take Our Border Back Convoy is Already a Complete Mess, that was published on Tuesday, began, quote, On Monday morning, the organizers of the Take Our Border Back Convoy kicked off their road trip to the Texas-Mexico border in Virginia Beach. Though they claimed that up to 40,000 trucks would be joining them, only 20 vehicles made up the convoy as it rolled into Jacksonville, Florida, 14 hours later. The promised support had not materialized. Not a single truck showed up. Tires were reportedly slashed. Participants got lost, and paranoia struck the group. In short, the convoy was a complete mess, unquote. So it sounds like... Everything is going good for these freedom-fighting patriots who are doing who are, their God's army. I forgot about that one. So, there's, you know, that's what's going on right now. But what are the next steps in this whole situation? Immigration policy in general, too. But I guess first with this situation in Texas, it's almost like a standoff right now. But if you're the federal government, you really, like, you can't just cede the territory of a federal border to the state of Texas. The federal government is ultimately going to have to stop the state from putting up this wire, whether that comes from the Supreme Court or not. Who cares what Greg Abbott says? Because the law in this case, and according to the Supreme Court, is not on his side. And so while there's a couple of loonies online who believe that we have entered a civil war, using quotes there because that's what people have said, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Remember, we talked about how some people online were talking up a civil war a couple years ago on this podcast. And what happened? Have we had a civil war? I have not shot anybody since. So ultimately, I feel like that's what needs to happen. I feel like that's what's going to happen at some point. But, you know, that's just one piece of this entire puzzle. In terms of immigration policy as a whole... That's another thing to discuss, because in the current administration, there has been no real immigration reform bill that has passed due to Congress. Due to the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, to get one passed, you would need a bipartisan majority to pass at least the Senate, and now the House, too. But there appears to actually be a real consensus emerging. CBS News wrote on Sunday, quote, a bipartisan group of lawmakers in Congress is on the verge of striking a deal with the Biden administration that would enact sweeping new border controls, including the authority to pause asylum processing during spikes in migrant crossings, unquote. Also, quote, after weeks of closed-door negotiations, the White House and a trio of senators could unveil an agreement as early as this week, unquote. So, as of Tuesday night when I'm recording this podcast, the bill or its language has not been released. But it is expected to give the executive branch of the federal government the authority to suspend asylum when migrant crossings pass a certain threshold at official ports of entry. If this authority was implemented, it would not allow migrants to ask for asylum when they cross into the U.S. illegally and would instead swiftly deport them back to Mexico or their home country with some exceptions. And Biden came out 
this past weekend in a statement supporting the bill. He said, quote, What's been negotiated would, if passed into law, be the toughest and fairest set of reforms to secure the border we've ever had in our country. It would give me, as president, a new emergency authority to shut down the border when it becomes overwhelmed. And if given that authority, I would use it the day I signed the bill into law, unquote. So that's what he says. You know, would he actually do that? Of course, remains to be seen. And then some other parts of the bill, according to CBS News, would expand the expedited removal authority, instruct immigration officials to decide asylum cases within six months, and raise the standard of proof in initial asylum interviews. A proposal would also provide lawyers to asylum seekers, while another could limit the immigration parole authority, which the Biden administration has used to resettle over a million refugees and migrants. And the Biden administration has also asked for $14 billion, with a B, dollars to fund border operations as well as hire additional asylum officers, border agents, and immigration judges. And I'll just tell y'all, straight up, personally, if it was me, I'd rather we don't have to stop the asylum seeking in this country. But we're at a point now, due to, as I said, the Biden administration, Trump administration, and the many administrations before, we are now at a point where we have not allocated resources to be able to handle the people who are trying to come into this country. So apparently that's what we need to do. And that's what's going to get, that's what Republicans want. They want to stop the asylum seeking. And so that's what's going to get them on board. So that's what's going to pass the bill. And so I support it from that standpoint. But personally, uh, from a humanitarian standpoint, that is no. And once again, when I tell you why Biden is getting criticized from not just the right, but the left, that's why. Because these are strict immigration policies. And why it's been so hard to come to a bipartisan deal has been the fact that, as I just mentioned, Republicans want to end the asylum seeking, which this bill will at a certain point or give the president authority to. But also for Democrats, like I mentioned earlier, they've previously refused to pass any immigration deal that did not protect those under DACA. But under this deal, there is no such protection or citizenship path. So the Democrats gave that up as well. So for Republicans, and Republicans have said this in Congress a lot recently, this gives them a lot of what they want. The Democrats are caving for a lot in this bill because of the current situation. So you'd think, oh my gosh, they're giving Republicans a bone. They would pass this, right? Well, listen, buddies. It'll probably get at least 60 votes in the Senate, maybe. But then, in the House... The Speaker, Mike Johnson, has said that it is dead on arrival. Why is that? Because all we need to focus our attention on for this is a man who goes by the name of Mr. Donald John. On Saturday, former President Trump told a crowd in Las Vegas, quote, As the leader of our party, there is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America. I'll fight it all the way. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully, they're blaming it on me. I say, that's okay. Please blame it on me. Please, Trump said. Quote, if Joe Biden wanted to secure the border, he doesn't really need a bill. I did it without a bill, unquote. Now, y'all, I'm not sure how any of this is open borders. The 
excessive deportations now. The we're not even going to let you seek asylum. I'm not sure how that's open borders, but okay. Also, as Punchbowl News found on Tuesday, Trump wasn't exactly telling the truth. I know. Shocker. Oh my gosh. Are you sure? Punchbowl wrote, quote, Yet during his presidency, Trump consistently asked Congress to pass border security legislation and slammed what he called an endemic abuse of the asylum system. Trump said existing laws were archaic and incompetent. Here's more of what Trump said in 2018. The only long-term solution to the crisis and the only way to ensure the endurance of our nation as a sovereign country is for Congress to overcome Open borders obstruction, unquote. So when Mr. Donnyboy claims Joe Biden doesn't need a bill, I did it without a bill. Well, that's not what he said while he was president. He was asking for a bill. So very interesting. So why would Donnyboy go after this bill? Why doesn't he want it? Well, I think I might have an idea. You see, it is an election year, 2024, and what's an issue that Republicans know? goes well for them right now. You guessed it. Immigration. So Donnie Boy and his friends, of course, don't want Joe Biden to get a perceived win with this bill. So they're trying to make sure the situation stays in the worst possible scenario so they can benefit from it electorally. Very Christian, God-fearing, if you ask me. But not all Republicans, by the way, are with Mr. Donnie Boy this time, which is why This bill still has a chance to pass. On Thursday, Utah Senator Mitt Romney said, quote, The border is a very important issue for Donald Trump, and the fact that he would communicate to Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame Biden for it is really appalling. The American people are suffering as a result of what's happening at the border, and someone running for president ought to try and get the problem solved, as opposed to saying, hey, Save that problem. Don't solve it. Let me take credit for solving it later, unquote. And North Carolina Republican Senator Tom Tillis said, quote, It is immoral for me to think you look the other way because you think this is the linchpin for President Trump to win, unquote. And oh, the irony, ladies and gentlemen, because multiple reports have shown that while running his businesses, Mr. Donnie Boy, the Trump Corporation, had illegal immigrants working for him, and knew about it, even 40 years ago. But hey, listen, I'm sure nothing gets past the thick skulls of conservative warriors like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So honestly, if she thinks we're all good, then we must be all good. I mean, seriously. And of course, you know, there's also another thing to add on top of this, the fact that House Republicans are now attempting to impeach, not the president, no, that, you know, we're, we're impeaching Hunter Biden later. But House Republicans right now are trying to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They claim that he has, quote, refused to comply with federal immigration laws, unquote, and, said, and that he has, quote, breached the public trust, unquote, in claiming to Congress that the U.S.-Mexico border is secure. And so the House is expected to vote next week. And Republicans, they can only lose one or two votes, Right now, they've got a very slim majority. Remember, George Santos left. Kevin McCarthy left. And so they have a very slim majority. So there's no certainty that this even passes, which honestly, I would laugh at them for that. That's pretty funny. But even if it does, the Senate 
Listen, y'all, the Senate's not going to convict this man, so he's not going to be leaving office. The only time, though, previously in U.S. history that a cabinet member has been impeached was Secretary of War, that's how long ago it was, William Belknap, under the Grant administration in 1876. It's been a while. Could be the second one, even though it's for, you know, claims that, I don't know if they're very truthful or not. But... In conclusion, to wrap this all up, it's a tough situation. That's why it took me a long time to finally get the facts to get this podcast together. And I probably left out a bunch of stuff too. And there's a lot of people to blame for what's going on right now. As I said, Joe Biden is to blame. Donnie Boy is to blame. He, you know, as he said, he even told the rally to blame him for blocking the border security bill. Many past administrations are to blame. Ronald Reagan's to blame. But the fact is that the Biden administration is almost in a no-win situation at this point. You're getting attacked by both the right and the left. The left is going to argue that an immigration bill is too harsh. The right is going to argue it's not enough or they want a Trump bill. And so there's absolutely reason to lay blame on the current president and his administration for what's going on at the border right now. The New York Times just came out with a piece on Tuesday that was titled How the Border Crisis Shattered Biden's Immigration Hope and went through the things that he hasn't done so well on. But as we're talking about the implications that this has going into the presidential election, which we're going to be talking about for the next few months until November, it would be negligent to say that the other major parties almost assured candidate for president has no blame in this scenario because Trump's harsh, inhumane policies separated children from their parents at the border, took money away from struggling Central American countries, which exacerbated the problem, and now support razor wire being put up at the border that is killing people by an entity who isn't authorized to do so in the first place. That's the other side of this issue. So I'll tell you, and I said it earlier, I don't agree with the way the Biden administration has been handling immigration for the most part. But he does clear the very, very low bar that the opposition provides. Like, I personally, and I know it's not a low bar, but we are succumbed to these two choices as everybody hates, apparently, the rematch, even though people are voting for it. But I'd rather have someone in charge who has actually proposed more humane policies and getting down to the root problems of the crisis instead of someone who just wants to finish his border wall. And just remember, y'all, that if no immigration deal gets passed by Congress in these next few days and weeks, you got one person to blame, and it's not the current president. He'd like you, the person who you should be blaming, he'd like you and many others who don't fully understand the situation to blame the current president, but those who know the facts, and you know, if you've gotten this far into the podcast, y'all do, those who know the facts know better than to succumb to that silly silly argument so there you have it y'all the facts on immigration the southern border as we stand right now those are all the facts that i've got for you on this week's edition of the podcast 
Thank you all so much for listening. Remember that if you liked all the facts we had on this week's episode of the podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 131, rate and review the podcast. Check us out on all the socials. We're on threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I passed 350 followers on TikTok tonight, y'all. That's, well, it's pretty good for me. But at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, tell all your friends about the podcast, the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, also our YouTube channel, Xander's Facts on YouTube. All our new episodes, including this one, get posted there with a nice background. Go subscribe, check that out. And also check out the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. So that is it for this week's episode of the podcast, the last episode day of January of 2024. Next week, as we get into February, as y'all might know, there's a big game in football coming up. The 58th edition of the Super Bowl is coming up in a week and a half. And so I, of course, have to give my little fact-filled preview for who's going to win. Chiefs and 49ers, a rematch of 2020, by the way, just like the presidential election. Let's hope that... um, Some other big things that happened in 2020 don't decide to reappear. But that is quite a coincidence. We'll talk about that next week, though. Fact-filled Super Bowl 58 preview. My pick, of course. Tune into the podcast next week, episode 132. But that is it. That is a wrap, y'all, on episode 131. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 132 next week. No religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God, he's against guns.